the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It is a delight to do so as we do every Monday with Brandon J. Weikert. He is the publisher of The Weikert Report. TheWeikertReport.com is the website. W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T is how he spells his name. He's the author of an important book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. And he's uh, putting the finishing touches and edits on an upcoming book, uh, last I heard it was titled The Shadow War, and it's about that I want to talk with Brandon a little uh-huh. bit. Brandon, how are you, sir? I am doing very well. It is a lovely night in southwest Florida, a cool 68 degrees and clear skies, and uh, I, I'm i in a peaceful place watching the world burn, unfortunately. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. You got 68 going there right now? I do, and it is pink skies, and I got a full moon to my right. It is lovely. We got seventy in sun, but we'll have we'll right. hit sixty eight in sunset by the time this interview is over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brandon, uh, your upcoming book, your next book uh, that yeah. you, you you are what probably ninety nine point nine percent done with the Shadow War is the title. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, uh, just just waiting for the cover art. Good. I wanted to start there. Uh, if I could, and then I want to yeah. move over to China a little bit and some interesting yeah. news on that and the Olympics. But there seems to be this argument, and you knew it was coming. You knew it would come. And we even saw bits of it during the uh, Trump administration that every um, reversal of pacification with Iran, every 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 uh, every intent of Iran to engage in more war, like behavior would be Donald's fault. Uh, And you saw uh, the head of uh, some uh, misbegotten organization named J Street, one Mr. Ben Ami in the Wall Street Journal, uh, making the point a couple days ago that um, that it is because of Trump that Iran is now reconstituting its nuclear uh, program. Uh, The timelines don't work out, and that's not really true from what I read. What's your read of it? Well, you're 100% correct, and as you have read the, uh, the the new book, you've got an advanced copy of it, yeah. you know I, I make this argument very extensively in the book. I actually go through the technicals of, without making it boring, I hope, but I, I go through the technicals of just why the claim that the Trump administration's righteous decision to abandon the Obama-era JCPOA nuke deal, uh, which wasn't a deal, it was a concession, uh, with Iran was the right thing to do, and how how Trump is not to blame for any kind of continuation that occurs once Biden took power, because the Iranians, the sad fact is, they never stopped developing right. the technology. Right. That the the JCPOA, the only thing that did was pull the diplomatic pressure off of Iran, pull the sanctions off of Iran, and basically help to wiggle Iran into the wider. Uh, global international uh, trading system. And if we're not careful, 
What happened when Nixon accepted Mao's offer to, uh, you know, in, embrace China as part of the world economic system? If we're not careful, the same exact thing might happen on a smaller scale with Iran. If we do, if we go through with restoring the Obama-era ill-fated JCPOA nuke agreement, but this is just typical Democrat fail-safe logic, right? This is always blame the previous Republican leader. Uh, and they did this to Bush when Obama was in office, and, and they did this to George H.W. Bush when Clinton was in office. Uh, they do this all the time. Any mistake a Democrat makes is always the mis- is actually the mistake of the Republican who came before. And it's all BS, if you pardon my language. Uh, and yeah, Iran never stopped developing their nuclear and ballistic missile capabilities. And now, by the way, that North Korea apparently has hypersonic weapons capabilities, courtesy of Russia and or China, Given North Korea's relationship and tech-sharing agreements with Iran, I would be very concerned now that North Korea is going to try to offload that advanced technology to the Iranians, who might then disseminate that to Hezbollah, to Hamas, to the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps elements that are currently in Venezuela and Cuba. Brandon, all of this is so darned important because no one's talking about it and no one's worrying about it. And it's going to be one of these things. How did Victor Hugo put it in the original Les Mis? (laughs) He said, everyone blames the thunderclap. You've been ignoring the dark clouds forever, right? (laughs) Right, right. right. And unfortunately, let's just be real. Uh, You know, my concern uh, is that, first of all, I don't want to be right. I'm the guy telling everybody I want to be wrong. Of course. the results are going to be truly catastrophic for everyone, including my two little kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the, the second thing is, if I am right, and I think I sadly am, my concern is that all the idiots who are currently wrong in D.C. are going to take credit, and they're going to then run around and uh, you know still have all the influence after the, the attacks and after the disaster happens, which means we're going to set ourselves up for failure yet again, because nobody in D.C. listens to outside voices. Mm-hmm. And you know this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brandon, uh, does 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 the Biden administration at this point think that it can cobble together some kind of deal and it will be uh, a pacification of Iran? Or do you think it thinks it can cobble together a deal for the sake of a deal and Iran's going to do what Iran's going to do anyway? That's exactly the latter point. Yes, I think I think a great snapshot of what we can expect is what we saw in Afghanistan in August, mm-hmm. which was basically that. Biden did not give one crap about whether or not the Taliban were going to respect the agreements that had been made. They didn't care one way or the other. Biden just wanted to be able to say to the history books, I was the president, man, and I got us out of Afghanistan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's all he cared about. And it's the same thing with Iran. He doesn't care what the results will be. He just wants to say, I, you know, made peace with Iran. I did what my predecessor couldn't do, and I did it without firing a shot. Little does he realize, in so doing, in pulling that card where he now allows Iran to be worked into the wider regional framework, Iran then will take that as a green light to run roughshod, even more than they are right now, over the whole region. And that puts Israel on its back heels, which means they're going to start slashing hard, and that could trigger a wider war. And it also puts the Saudis on their back heels. The Saudis might not strike Iran directly, but I could definitely, and we're already seeing this with China, I will definitely tell you I am convinced that those 19 nuclear weapons that Saudi Arabia put on back order in 2009 from Pakistan, I guarantee you those systems will be shipped over to Iran, and that ballistic missile delivery system that China's offering to build for Saudi Arabia 
will probably be completed, and then you will have suddenly a breakout of nuclear weapons material all over the Middle East, put into the hands of Sunni Arab uh, uh, you know, leaders that, let's face it, have very weak governments, and a population that hates America, hates Israel, doesn't like the Iranians, but if you give them nukes, it's going to get very bleak very fast. And now I'm not opposed to nuclear proliferation in specific instances like with Israel or India, uh, South Korea maybe, Japan. But when it comes to, uh, you know, I'm a supporter of Mohammed bin Salman. I'm a supporter of the regime in Riyadh. I do think they're an ally. They're a troubled ally, but they're an ally. But I do not want to see them get their own nukes. I, not at all. And that's what will happen. And, and, and at the same time, is the concern with nuclear weaponry in the hands of a rogue state – um, is it the more pressing concern or is terrorism and the fomenting and funding of international terrorism of more concern or is it two wheels operating together? It's a, it's a hydra. It's a multi-headed hydra. It's all one and the same now. They, the the storylines have converged. Uh, and with Iran, it is the mothership of terrorism and nuclear weapons development and proliferation, precision-guided munitions propagation, uh, we saw this over this last summer with uh, the horrible events where I- I- Iranian-backed militias were launching these these precision-guided missiles at Israel. They're building in Lebanon. Uh, they call it the Precision Project, where they're basically building out these rapid, advanced, uh, long-range missiles that can strike the port of Haifa. This is a design by Hezbollah to basically knock out the beating economic heart of Israel so that even if Israel does survive, another war with Hezbollah, uh, the, the economy of Israel will be hobbled and that will weaken the country overall. And so, you know, they're all part of the same nexus now. It's very bad. Uh, Brandon, let me uh, do this uh, real quick. I want to sure. uh, I want to turn to China a little bit. I want to turn to China and the Olympics, if I can. There's this interesting yeah. story that the Washington Post just put up on a Headline that says the U.S. government is boycotting the Beijing Olympics over human rights. Coke and Airbnb are still on board. We can we can get in a fight with the um, with the with these companies, and that's fine. I'm happy to do so. But who who here knows that the U.S. government is boycotting the Beijing Olympics over right. human rights? Right. Has the has the president? This is a big deal, or should be seen as a big deal. Are they saying anything to help? anyone understand what and what for or that they are even doing can we come back on this when we uh, return from the break Absolutely. real quick i'm seth yep. leaps and he's brandon j weicker we will be right back Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. He is a columnist for the Asia Times as well as the author of Winning Space, his new upcoming book, Shadow War, uh, which uh, focuses a little bit more on Iran, uh, but also t- dealing with uh, the superpower. Is it fair to call him a superpower, a super-duper power? China, uh, <laughs> Brandon. By, by the way, are there two or three superpowers in the world right now in your reading? Uh, so in my opinion, we've crossed the threshold into a tripolar world. We're no longer, sadly, in the unipolar world. Uh, so I would say that, yes, the United States, Russia, and China are definitely the, the big powers to contend with right now. Um, okay. That having been... And, and a real quick thing. Yeah. Um, the works of Richard Rosscrantz and uh, 
uh, Schweller uh, has, he wrote a great book called The Deadly Imbalance, and it was about the 1930s and his assessment that there was, a, in that time, a tripolar order between the U.S., Germany, uh, and uh, Britain, uh, and that he proved, I think, that tripolar systems are inherently unstable and always lead to war because two of the three powers are constantly seeking to overwhelm the other, and usually in a tripolar system, the three powers are relatively equal in military and economic strength, which means they're going to create chaos when, when they're trying to sort of get, get one on each other. Okay. So this is a very dangerous situation we're in globally right now. Okay, okay. Um, on that, on that, we are going to engage in this thing of international goodwill called the Olympics with right. athletes going to China. But diplomats from the U.S. not. Uh, American corporations seeming not to care at all. I don't know if you saw something uh, one of these owners of the Golden State Warriors said today. He's in a little bit yes, of trouble for it. Yeah, disgusting. Awful. Yeah. And, um, but I think, I think. That thinking does dominate. I think he said the quiet part out loud for too many yes. people. Yes, yes, he did. What he said was, yes, I don't give did. a damn about the Uyghurs, basically. That's right. Okay. Right. Well, yeah, he said that it's not really a genocide and I don't really care. And he, you're right. He's reflecting and stating what a majority of our, you know, feckless, vain, hollow elite believe. And this is why I have absolutely no faith that, the, that President Biden and his team, all of whom are from that class of people— uh, they share the same predilections and proclivities. I do not believe that, that he will ultimately do what needs to be done in terms of standing up to China, which is why I'm very sad these days, because we are this, this, this next four years is seeding the future to China. I can guarantee you that. Brandon, um, what does that mean for, you know, space? What does it mean for military? But more importantly, what does that mean for the thing that so many American businesses were so interested in throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, and aughts? What, what does that mean right. when China has control of everything? Well, the first thing that American businesses have never understood because the, 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 the deficiencies in the short-term thinking of what we call shareholder capitalism or agency theory, as Harvard Business School calls it, uh, the, the first thing that our businesses never figured out was that China did not want to do business with them just to make money. They wanted to do business with them to gain access to their trade secrets and their practices and their intellectual property in order to then replicate those practices in China. And once the Chinese created a base for indigenous industry to knock those American and Western firms back out of China and then have global competition, where China, the Chinese government was basically subsidizing these new competitors to, you name the American company that was initially partnered with them. Mm -hmm. So what they don't understand, these American companies, is that they are literally creating their own destruction in the long run for short-term profits. And I don't think that's going to stop. And it, I don't think it matters how many American or Western businesses are taken down by these practices. Many manufacturing firms that migrated over to China in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, many of them have been damaged or fully co-opted by China. Uh, and so nobody's learned the lesson because everybody wants to make money in the here and now. Everybody's worried about the quarterly profit you know, report. They don't care about the long term or the national strategic interest because they're not paid to. They're paid to be uh, fiduciary responsibility only to their shareholders, and that's how they operate. 
And so that's the first thing. Our businesses are killing themselves, and they're setting up, in turn, the American economy to become completely dependent and subordinate to China. And once that happens, and it's already starting to, you've got global, you know, the global hegemony is going to China, and then you're going to have a Chinese-led world order that is very authoritarian, borderline totalitarian, and certainly not friendly to democracy or freedom, either there, overseas, or here, because China has a lot of influence and pull over our institutions, and it's sad. If it didn't, if it didn't have that kind of pull, we wouldn't see the kinds of headlines that we see, like the ones I had mentioned to you, Coke, uh, companies like Coke and Airbnb going over right. with, with hat in hand and uh, so many right. other American corporations. Right. It's shambolic. Exactly. And I'm wondering yeah. what your sense is, too, about the administration itself being so quiet about it. Who knew, as I mentioned, that there is a, that, that, that there is a diplomatic boycott? But you know what? The diplomatic boycott is one thing. An athletic boycott would be something else entirely. Right. And that we just right. don't have this. We don't seem to have the will to do. And I don't quite right. understand it. Right. So uh, the the bottom line is because the Biden administration are from that neoliberal elite class of people who've been running things since the 70s, um, they are going to bluster for as long as they have to to get approval ratings higher in the press. Every time Biden dings China, his approval ratings go up a little bit. So he's going to keep doing that. But behind the scenes, I can guarantee you, for the most part, they are working, the Biden administration, on the mother of all deals, on trade, on uh, selling more of our goods to China in order to curb inflation, to, to, to keep up with uh, pent-up demand, as well as to bring in more Chinese imports because we need it to help lower the price of things. And then also John Kerry who, and, and Susan Rice, Rice, both of them, who have a lot of access and influence, more than they should in this administration, they want a deal on global warming which is basically like the Iran nuclear deal when, when it comes to China. It's not a deal at all. It's a concession to China. And so Biden, in the long run, is going to want those things because he's going to want to be remembered as the deal maker, and he's going to want to be remembered as the man who made peace. And I've been saying this since, what, March of last year. Get ready. Biden, at some point, probably around midterms or slightly after, because he's going to lose the midterms probably, uh, but he's going to reverse course and try to be more conciliatory toward China because his ultimate goal is to continue on with the order that was established when he was a young man in the 1970s working on the Senate, which is to play nice and fair with China while China eats our lunch. But, hey, everybody's getting rich in the near term, all Biden's buddies, so who cares? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I think there is a lot of that. I think there is a lot of uh, he who dies with the most toys wins, and yeah. I think that there's this weird materialism that, you know, might not have been uh, might not have been alien to the concerns that uh, that Mao had is influenced by Marx, but that we're repeating and proving true. Uh, Brandon, when we come back, tell me what we should be looking at and focusing on that we aren't. I'm always fascinated, as you know. Yeah. I think you appreciate uh, 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 But it's eminently true that if you want to know the headlines, not tomorrow, but six months from now, know what Brandon's thinking now. I'd love to know what you're working on that we should, we, we should be we should be uh, we should be equally uh, e equally obsessed with. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon J. Weikert. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest, publisher of the Weikert Report, uh, author of Winning Space, his upcoming book, The Shadow War, columnist for the Asia Times. Brandon, what 
worries you these days? What keeps you awake or what makes you think (laughs) others should be kept awake? Well, in the near term, I'm still watching the Ukrainian crisis. I am now convinced that Russia is going to invade. Uh, I I might be wrong about this, but I, I am convinced that between now and April, if they don't invade by April, then they can't invade because then the snow melts and it becomes a sort of slushy mud that they really can't pass through. But we've already now seen large troop movements into Belarus, uh, Russian troops. We've now seen the sweeping cyber attack in Norway against Ukrainian assets. Uh, we've seen uh, this the, the maneuvers of Russia's amphibious landers uh, out of the, uh, the Crimean port of Sevastopol, which is the Russian naval base that's been there since the 19th century, and they're moving it to God knows where. Uh, so so the, the point I'm making is Biden and his team continue assuring us that, hey, no big deal, this is all Russian bluster. And I am the one of the few people in the media, I just did an interview with the U.S. Sun uh, about this, and it's posted, I think, now, and I'll have to repost it. But basically, I'm one of the few people, according to this reporter who's been talking to a lot of people, I'm one of the few people who's explicitly saying, yeah, Russia's going to invade. They're going to take eastern Ukraine. And the reason is simple. Um, Putin views Biden the way that Ronald, and I'm not saying that Putin is Ronald Reagan, uh, but I'm just saying the way that Ronald Reagan viewed Chernyenko of the Soviet Union as the sclerotic, old, doddering, who knows how long he's going to be there, leader of a dying superpower. And Putin has got the bit between his teeth, and he is not going to let up. And the Jake Sullivan and, and Anthony Blinken and all these guys are completely misreading the situation when they say that this is all bluster at the end of the day, nothing's going to happen over Ukraine. Oh, no. Something's going to happen because Putin's got a limited window of opportunity, and he knows that Biden's not going to be in office forever, and the next person probably will be a bit more together uh, and tougher than Biden currently is and less distracted, probably. And Putin also is old, and so he's got to make some big moves now to fulfill his supposed destiny of restoring Russian imperial greatness, and that means reclaiming at least eastern Ukraine. So I'm looking out at that. I'm also watching... You you uh, make a really important point before we go to that next thing. I just want to seize on that. If you're a dictator looking on how to make your gains amidst uh, 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 something that could thwart you that has been enfeebled, now's that time. Now is that time. Okay. Right. And this is why, Steph, you see all along the arc of Eurasia and uh, Africa and the Middle East and now even Latin America, uh, you see every tin pot, two-bit, third-rate dictator, pot-belly dictator you know, coming out of the woodwork and pressing hard against America and her alliances because they know America's weak. And it doesn't help that you've got this economic dynamo in China that is now explicitly opposed to the U.S. Uh, and is building this, this Russian alliance, uh, this Russian-Chinese alliance, this axis of autocrats. And they're basically like a, like a, like a giant uh, gravitational force in space. They're pulling all the fellow autocracies together to create one heck of a threat, uh, a challenge to the American-led world order. Uh, you know, we in, in America view alliances, uh, we usually have alliances with fellow democracies, shared values. We have trade part of it. We have defense part of it. We don't let people in the club who aren't quite like us because we don't want to be morally impure or unsound. Uh, and it's sort of this large cultural thing. Um, in the Eurasian space, it's realpolitik that governs alliances, cold, hard realism. 
And they're all autocrats over there, Russia and China being the biggest. And what they're doing is they're creating a sort of new age Peloponnesian League. If you remember the, the, the uh, Peloponnesian War between Sparta and its fellow dictatorships, military autocracies versus Athenian democracy, uh, the Peloponnesian League, they were very different groups of Greek city-states, different interests, but they all had one thing in common, resistance to what they thought was the unwanted imperiousness of Athenian democracy. Right. And the right. same thing is shaping up. Oh, that's a great point. Today. That's a great point. Throughout the 70s, I'm going to take a break on this one and then yeah. we'll come back on it. Throughout the 70s, you saw this rise uh, of third world authoritarianism, uh, Marxist uh, movements uh, declaiming against uh, Western imperialism and colonization. And, uh, that, and, and, and the funny thing is you look at the behavior of the United States, of the Western states today, and you look at the behavior of, say, Russia and China now – Who's the imperialist? Who's the colonialist? Can we come back on that point? Absolutely. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weicker. We will be right back. Back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. Brandon, uh, I think it was Khrushchev in 1960 who popularized the trifecta of the uh, anti-Western states uh, aligned against the United States and Great Britain, the West, if you will, by uh, creating uh, the the notions of the the division being about colonialism, imperialism, and racism, right? Right. And it turns out when you look back at all of that history, who was doing the imperializing and the colonializing and who's doing it today? It was it's 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 really quite an inversion. And when you talk about Russia and China, the way you talk about Russia and China, this is nothing short of imperialization and colonization. And in certain parts of Russia, excuse me, China, racism. Well, absolutely. Yes. Uh, And I think it's important to note um, an old professor of mine, Marikota Kavich, used to tell me all the time, uh, you know, Russia is a colonial empire by its nature. It's just it didn't have a navy like the Europeans and even to an extent the Americans did. So its version of colonialism was sending armies of Cossacks, yeah. uh, you know, across its, its periphery yeah. to invade and claim a territory via land. It was land colonization yeah. rather than seaborne. Right. But it's the same thing. It's right. colonization. It was ethnic cleansing. It was, you know, intermarrying, forced interbreeding with local populations to, to bring them to heal. Uh, you know, th- th- this is this is nothing new, and this is exactly how China grew as well. And this is what they're doing again. They're doing it a little bit more complex today, where they, the Chinese in particular, are using debt trap uh, diplomacy. But that creates a, a, a master subordinate relationship between the colonized and the colonizer, uh, or the, rather, the colonizer and the colonized master subordinate. Uh, and so this uh, this notion that oh, the United States is this imperial power. Oh. We have flirted in our past with what you might say is a soft form of imperialism in the Philippines. Uh, you know, and in certain cases, uh, the Spanish-American War, the Mexican-American War. But, but to be clear, um, it wasn't. We were, we were not setting out to create an empire. The Russians, the Chinese, they consistently set out to create an empire. And if you listen to them in their homelands and their native language, they're very open and clear about what their intentions are. So is Iran. So is North Korea. Uh, they're very clear. They're all the same. They want to resist unwanted Western 
uh, influence and military reach, because that's the only way that their regimes are really threatened at home and prevented from doing what they want. And then they want to expand the arc of their influence into their near abroad. Uh, and, and in fact, the term near abroad is a Russian term created by uh, Putin's people uh, 20 years ago. And that itself is an imperial and somewhat chauvinistic term you, that he uses to apply to countries like Kazakhstan, the Central Asian states, uh, Eastern Europe. This is a very imperial mentality. Uh, and, and of course, they're deflecting and using, uh, they have a much better skill set of using public diplomacy and propaganda to shape the pu- public perceptions of the world. And there's a lot of anti-Americanism out there that has persisted for 60, 70 years now, and it isn't going away. And we have uh, at least half of the political people in this country, Democrats, who love to perpetuate uh, similar talking points about how horrible we are. We see this in critical race theory and you know all the stuff going on at home today. And so you know, it's a, it's a lose-lose for America on the propaganda front because our enemies are very good at painting us as the real villain, and they're the actual villains. Uh, and then our domestic rivals, our domestic competitors, the Democrats, accept that narrative and, and propagate it to our young people, and they spread it for the next generation with very little pushback from the Republican Party because the Republican Party is sclerotic and brain-dead. <laughs> We had a uh, – that's well said. We had a uh, professor here. You may see his work here and there, uh, Brandon, on Twitter and some of the national press, uh, a professor of government uh, named Wilford Riley uh, yeah. on uh, the other day. And he was talking about how he would not be surprised if there were elements of Russian or China's intelligence operations that were funding some of the stuff you hear in America about well, our systemic racism. You. And I thought, you know, this was routine yes. in the 50s and we gave yes. a damn. I'm not, I have no yes. reason to think it isn't routine United now, but we don't give a damn. Fifth column. Yeah. Yes. And so I know for a fact, I and mean, this was reported two years ago, remember the, the George Floyd protests yeah. in Chicago and in Texas right. that got violent. Well, uh, it turned out that from the Houston and Chicago consulates, there were groups of Chinese Ministry of State Security yeah. uh, intelligence officials who went into the angry crowds, and their assignment from Beijing was to agitate yep. the crowds to the point of violence, mm-hmm. which is what happened. Mm-hmm. And those diplomats were kicked out. The Trump administration caught them and kicked them out. But yes, that is an explicit version or, or an extreme version of just what the Chinese and Russians are doing. The more dangerous stuff that the Chinese and Russians are doing in terms of influence operation are the things that are below the surface. Mm. Uh, China, for instance, you know, I worked on the Hill for years. Yep. Uh, China employs very large U.S. lobbying firms to their state enterprises. They use cutouts to pay our lobbying firms who are staffed full of former congressional staffers who are well-connected to the political class for both parties, and they descend on Capitol Hill every day to lobby uh, both parties to create laws that basically would benefit these uh, supposed independent private companies in China, uh, in Asia. But, of course, these are all state-owned or state-influenced Chinese firms. And so what's going on is China is manipulating our political leaders to create laws that affect everyday Americans and affect our foreign policy and our military policy that will effectively render us, you know, weak and pliable and will empower and strengthen China. 
Russia's a little bit more ham-fisted. They do it, though, to a degree. And the Iranians have tried it, and others have tried it as well, even allies. The difference, why wouldn't you? Well, the di- yes, why wouldn't you? And the difference between now and the 50s and 60s is that you have American corporations. Weak. You have American corporations paying those lobbying forms firms in Washington to defeat, to oppose legislation right. that would put more strictures on China. It's, it's no, a fascinating yeah, development. And they're using the Chinese techniques, for instance, for suppressing the COVID-19 disease. Yeah. They're trying to apply those draconian, wholly yeah. un-American measures here in the United States. And in fact, many of the, the, the health officials are very clear that we're looking at the Asian model, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Mm-hmm. And I'm just telling you that that is not going to work here because our culture is fundamentally different from the Asian cultures, notably from China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, our, our system can't handle it. It's not designed for that level of centralization. So you're talking about now shredding whatever's left of the Constitution in order to apply these draconian mandates and these powerful state mandates. And it's disgusting. And we are, we are becoming less and less American because, as you say, of the influence of corporations, yeah. how you know, international corporate leaders, let's face it, like this guy from California, yeah. the, what is it? The, the, the Golden, Golden State the, Warriors, yeah. yeah, go, yeah. You know, that owner, he's not from America originally. No. He doesn't share our values, and he's not incentivized because financially he's an international financial you bet. guy. You so bet. he's going to make all of his money from, from being nice to China, and that's how it's going to go. And those guys and gals have all the influence, sadly. And slavery means nothing to him, and the NBA right. can put BLM all over its courts if it wants to, but having this right. guy who doesn't give two wits about slavery being a part right. of that constellation means nothing to him. Well, it means something to us. Brandon, right. bless you, sir. Godspeed. Until next week. You as well. You betcha. Thank you, sir. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. You know what what would have been a nice thing in this country on a day like today, the Martin uh, Luther King uh, Jr. Day that we – that is now a federal holiday everywhere, thank God, and – and that we're commemorating here today, it would have been a nice thing if the media gave as much attention to the elected, elected Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, Winsome Sears, who was just sworn in as the first black woman to hold that position in Virginia, as they have been giving to Eric Adams as the first, uh, as the, um, as the new mayor in New York City. He's not the first black mayor of New York City. Uh, you almost would have thought he was, but and you almost heard me slip and say that by the coverage he's been getting. What's the coverage she has been getting outside of Fox News? Nowhere. Nowheresville. And it's not as if New York City is, I mean, it's the same population as Virginia, actually. Uh, I'm pretty sure they they roughly have the same exact pop, roughly have the same exact stupidly. <laughs> That's a stupid way to say it. they have roughly the same populations. Um, and you know, lieutenant, uh, the lieutenant governor of Virginia. The problem with her is she flies in the face of everything the left wants you to believe. So she says on a day like today, the following to Fox: I think I am a success story that says to people, you can do it, you will do it, no matter your gender, no matter your color, even no matter where you were born, because here I am, 
This is not my country, not my culture. I came from Jamaica, and here I have made it. She couldn't have made it in Jamaica. That's her point. Here, she can make it. For those that want to talk about the multiracial background of our current vice president and see what she has to say that's so wise and important and so successful going forward, um, you would think they might go to someone with a similar background who got elected not by dint of who was at the top of the ticket, but by dint of her own election, her own election, Winsome Sears. It's early in this tenure. We'll see how they do. But I'm inclined to believe that someone who can see in her success America's success and as a glass more than half full rather than less than half empty, I'm looking forward to her maybe being the answer to the civil rights that Martin Luther King gave his life to and letting her finish the chapter after so many other false starts from so many other false prophets. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 